0: Hey, how's it going? It's Adam Roxby here talking to you just before we welcome in 2021, and with the hope and expectation that 2021 will certainly be a dance sight better than what we've been having recently. Anyway, enough talk of that aside. Recently I found all of my old articles for the Nursing Times, which I'd written when I was the first student nurse editor of that prestigious publication all the way back in 2011 so nearly 10 years ago now and I wanted to share them with you for a couple of reasons firstly because I still feel that even though they are so old some of them are still relevant and are useful in and of themselves but also to provide my website with a comprehensive list of all the things that I've done that I'm proud of you know even after all these years there's still many things that I've yet to share or speak about or Uh, really linked to and i wanted to keep adamroxby.uk as the one place where people could go to access all of the things that i've created Um, since 2006 i've been creating things for the internet so yeah quite a while anyway so starting from now every week i'm going to be releasing a new bit of media from the student nursing times archive this includes um, articles that i've written articles about the things that I've done and also the short-lived or but much enjoyed and really fun to make student nursing times podcast now it may sound strange but back in the day when I was making these podcasts for big publications like this was a bit of a new thing now everybody's got them but I had some great times with my fellow students, uh, in particular a student nurse at the time called Tracy. We we were sort of the co-hosts, and I'd got people to guest on there as well to talk about things. and And like I say, there is still much relevance in those podcasts as well. Thankfully, human physiology doesn't evolve that quickly so many of the things that we spoke about are still relevant and many of the problems that um, students face are still prevalent. But anyway, the second article that I'd wrote for the Student Nursing Times back in September 2011 was called simply Welcome to Student Nursing Times so let's get going. When I first got involved with Student Nursing Times a couple of months back I felt mixed emotions First off I was excited and proud to be contributing to such a prestigious publication, but I also confess I was hesitant. Nursing, like many vocations, requires a solid grasp of evidence-based knowledge and practical abilities to be able to use it out in the real world. Did I know enough to become the student editor? But that's what being a student is all about, trying something new feeling scared about making a mistake but trying your hardest anyways and that's what I'm going to do here and hopefully I won't be alone you'll be here with me I can see student nursing times becoming the place to go to receive support from a community of student nurses we're all here so let's get talking we want as many students as possible to be involved with the site not just the spectators but actively contributing to its content So what is Student Nursing Times? Well we have features like our Nursepedia which takes the normally overwrought definitions and translates them into something that's easy to understand. There are articles written by real students up and down the country which will entertain you, broaden your insights or perhaps reassure you that there are others going through the same thing. There is practical advice written by experts to help you on a wide range of subjects from cannulation to interview techniques. There is access to thousands of clinical peer-reviewed articles to help you with your coursework and tips on how to handle your health and well-being, your money and your social life. There's so much I could talk about but I'm eager for you to go off and explore. All students need help and support at some point during their studies and it is my hope that Student Nursing Times will be a valuable resource to hold your hand along your way. Let's get learning. So that was the first article and you know as you see uh, as you can see it's still a very new idea to have a student focused area on uh, a website like the nursing times but you know i'm not sure whether nurse is still there or but there certainly is thousands upon thousands of peer-reviewed articles which is the the lifeblood of any student's education you know you go to your lectures and you do your placements but to receive information that you know has been assessed and put through the rigorous scientific process is really really helpful and it's what shapes our practice so yeah really proud of that anyway the second article is there I hope you enjoy it and I look forward to sharing more of my student nursing times articles with you very soon Hey how you doing it's Adam Roxby here, back with another one of my articles for the Student Nursing Times and this one is called Me, Myself and My Mentor and was originally published on the Nursing Times website on the 26th of September. <laughs> hey how you doing it's Adam Roxby here with another article from my time. Hey, how are you doing? It's Adam Roxby here with another article from the Student Nursing Times website. This one was originally published on the 26th of September 2011. Will you fucking stop hitting that? Hey, how are you doing? It's Adam Roxby here with another article from my time as student nurse editor for the Student Nursing Times website. And this article was originally published on the 26th of September 2011 and is entitled, Me, Myself and My Mentor. As always, the link to the original article will be posted in the blog post and please do get in touch if you've got any questions, I look forward to continuing the discussion with you over on my website adamroxby.uk. Anyway, let's get going. Whether we like it or not, students need to be mentored. We all need that essential link to ensure that our time in placement is both productive and efficient. It is part of a mentor's role to get to know their students and to try and tailor their teaching style to the student's individual needs. The relationship between a student and a mentor is built up on expectations. Students expect their mentors to be supportive, constructive and encouraging. Mentors on the other hand expect a student to be willing to learn, adaptable and professional. Inevitably, when a large number of students are mixed with a large number of mentors, differences in personalities are going to take place. Speaking from my own experience of a mentor who wasn't as supportive as I'd hoped, it can make things very tricky. But if you face a similar situation, then you should know that there are methods of support which you can help. There will be a link lecturer or a link nurse between the placement and your university to help you, which you could speak Speaking from my own experience of a mentor who wasn't as supportive as I'd hoped, it can make things a bit tricky. But if you face a similar situation, then you should know that there are methods of support to help you. There will be a link lecturer or link nurse between the placement and your university to help you, or you could speak to your tutor directly. But it's not all negative. I think there is a tendency among some students to underestimate how difficult it is to be a mentor. Being a mentor doesn't absolve a nurse from their massive workload, they still have to contend with their day to day duties, on top of that they may have one, two or perhaps three students to guide through the nursing process. This can be quite a strain so there are ways in which our students can help ourselves to make our mental relationship better. Firstly, at the start of a placement we could set out what we would like to achieve from the practice area. Secondly, we could ensure we don't leave our practice documents till the last minute. And thirdly, we could be willing to adapt to fit in with the general ethos of our placement area. But what do you think? On the whole, the student-mentor relationship can benefit everyone involved. Students benefit from their mentors' experiences and mentors feel proud of their students' achievements. When I spoke to my mentor, She told me about the sense of pride she feels when she became a mentor. She spoke of a recognition that her nursing skills were sufficient to be able to teach other people. Both students and mentors can benefit from their time together. All that it takes is a bit of adjustment on both sides. Do you benefit from your relationship with your mentor? How would you like your relationship to be different So that was my article for the Nursing Times about my mentor relationship and it's true as I said in the article I did have a bit of tricky times with my mentors for a number of reasons. Firstly I think there were some genuine clashes of personalities which obviously happens but if I'm being honest looking back now with nearly 10 years of reflection behind me I probably wasn't the easiest person to get along with and probably still aren't in many respects but I think that kind of awareness that you have of your own limitations and your own sort of personality quirks is a very important thing you know we would all like to have this idealized version of what we are and what we present but sometimes that's not always what we do present and knowing where we are perhaps difficult to work with is certainly a first step in being able to change the way in which we present ourselves. But anyway, like I say, please be sure to head over to adamroxby.uk for more articles like this and many more bits of media. And I look forward to speaking to you next time with the next article from the Student Nursing Times Archive. Thank you very much. Hey how you doing it's Adam Roxby here with another article from the archives of the Student Nursing Times and this one was originally written on the 3rd of October 2011 and it is entitled Uniform Pride. As always the link to the original article on the Nursing Times website can be found on my blog and many other articles like this are available at adamroxby.uk. Anyway here we go. When you consider some of the most iconic and influential uniforms, you'll probably have a list that would include, say, the London Beef Eaters, Airline Cabin Crew and indeed the Crew of Star Trek, my own personal geeky preference there. However to judge a student nurse's uniform on on its appearance alone sort of misses the point. My own uniform requires black trousers, black shoes and a light grey tunic. It has to be clean and fully ironed each day, ready for me to turn up at my placement area. Having spent some time around campus listening to the opinions of other students, I'm frankly surprised at some people's utter hatred for the uniform. I can appreciate that that it's perhaps not the most comfortable thing to wear and it might be not hugely flattering, but if people could see beyond these things, then they might find a new appreciation for what they wear. Our uniforms, more than anything else, are symbols of the hard work and dedication that is required of us in order to progress to the role of staff nurse, which, in turn, will then require us to wear another uniform, with a different set of values attached to it. As members of this, our chosen profession, we really should take pride in the work that we do and there's no easier way to convey this to members of the public than through the uniform we wear. It is our advertisement to the world. It not only reflects on us as individuals but helps to shape people's opinions of the entire profession. You may say that it's easy for me to sit here and talk about the merits of a student nurse's uniform but if people can try to look beyond the physical garment and see the uniform for what it represents then we might find that our training isn't quite so uncomfortable. Yeah, this was a an article that I'd written and certainly got a lot of responses from. And I remember when I was conceiving it that there really was a a visceral dislike to the uniform by some people. And I, I get it, you know, there's many things to be said about the, the cumbersome nature of some uniforms and many people actively seek out places of employment in the nursing sector, which were give you the freedom not to wear uniform you know some mental health jobs for example uh it is certainly beneficial to foster a relationship with the people that you're looking after for you not to be wearing a uniform but i felt at the time and i still feel that as a student nurse if you turn up on a placement with a well turned out uniform your badge is all in order you've got a nice little fob watch you really are displaying the pride and the professionalism that you should be embodying and reflecting in the clothes that you wear. We don't get a choice so much in university of the cl- of the uniform that you are required to wear but the way in which you wear it is uh, the, a choice that you have. Think back to the days when you were at school you know we all had these people where you know, you would try and reflect your individuality within the constraints of the uniform that you you had to wear. So for me, it was how short could you get your tie? It was the tie length was, was the real kind of a, you know, mark of individuality. You know, the shorter you had your tie, the more of a rebel you were. And the longer you had your tie, it was seen as the more conformist you were. I'm not saying that we should be, you know, trying to put in flares of rebellious nature within our uniforms, but there are certain ways in which you can express your personality and express yourself within the uniform that you wear while still presenting that that pride and professionalism. Since qualifying, I've, I've often felt that nursing is definitely one of those professions that does garner a lot of pride, and rightly so, you know, especially given the current times and the recent tribulations that the nursing profession has had to go go through Um, it's not hyperbole to say that we have literally been putting our lives on the line um, for the for the protection of the general public and that's you know, usually something that you think of as as being reserved for people like, you know, firefighters or soldiers or these sort of professions which are quite well regarded in the public sector, uh, in the public consciousness. But, you know, nursing has really now, because of the pandemic, been elevated, I believe, to that kind of hallowed uh, status. And again, nursing students now should feel an even greater sense of accomplishment and pride because they're going into a profession which has got such well-documented um, hardships and has endured so much problems of pay problems of uh, you know the difficult working hours the literal dangers that you are putting yourself into uh, these these situations so wear your uniform with pride Gosh darn it, you deserve it. Anyway, looking forward to speaking to you really soon with another article from the archives of the Student Nursing Times. Hey, how you doing? It's Adam Roxby here with another article from the archives of the Student Nursing Times. Back when I was the student nurse editor, I wrote this article on the 10th of October 2011 And as always, the link to the original article will be on the website and you can find many more examples of articles like this over at adamroxby.uk And this article was called We're on placement to learn, not just to make up the numbers. Here we go. For some student nurses, heading into practice for the first time can be a daunting experience, with their heads swimming, with expectations and questions You may be experiencing the workplace for the first time and might be unsure about what's expected of you. Fundamentally we are students and must use that time that we have in placement to learn about the process of your placement and achieve your learning goals as defined by your university. You are not a member of their staff and as such you are not there to make up the numbers. With that said you shouldn't be With that said, you shouldn't bleat out a command as an instinctual reaction to being asked to do something. However, with that said, that shouldn't be a line that you bleat out as a command, as an instinctual reaction to being asked to do something. Having such an attitude towards your placement area will not endear you then, Having such an attitude towards your placement area will not endear them to you and won't create good relationships. Besides, getting involved with the daily routine of your placement area is how you gain the basic and fundamental skills that will help to form you into a competent nurse as you progress through your training. There is a way that you can carry out the daily routine while still achieving what you need to academically. More often than not, you'll find it is doing these routine tasks that have the most contact with the patients or service users. It is important to know what is expected of you. Resist the temptation to think that any job is beneath you and use your time wisely. Every day should give you another opportunity to learn something. In answer to the question in the title, Am I just a pair of hands? No, you're so much more. Well. Well um, yeah I wrote that article because there were many times when I felt I was just being um, kind of another pair of hands on on the wards I now see it from the other side of the fence it is very tempting when you are stretched as a nurse and you are pushed and there's so many things that need doing and these are not insignificant things either these are you know all important things competing for your attention and all things that will give real um, medical benefit to your patients and then you've got this sort of willing and available pool of help it's hard not to perhaps use these students in a way that doesn't necessarily wholly benefit their studies. And as I said, there are ways in which you can do even the most mundane tasks on a ward and still get value from that as a student. I did mean it when I said that you are, sometimes as nurses, when you are working on a ward, you don't get the contact with the patients that you would like. It's generally the the healthcare assistants, you know, on some wards, the healthcare assistants not only wash people, which is a really valuable way to, to assess a person's condition. There's you know, you don't get much tactile than actually seeing somebody's skin and feeling them, touching them, find you know, discovering what their condition of the skin is like. Uh, you'll you know see what it, whether they've got good in skin integrity all these sort of things that you get from physically seeing somebody, but sometimes the healthcare assistants actually do the the morning observations. So they're not only seeing the people firsthand, but they're getting vital um, vital information from them firsthand. So blood pressures, pulse, and all these sort of other things, and of course they they would relay that to the nurse looking after that patient, but doing it firsthand just gives you so much more than the actual numbers that come up off the machine so if you are a student nurse in that position then don't feel downhearted don't feel as if you're being a sort of a skivvy but take these opportunities of these physical interactions that you have with your patients and use it to the best of your ability and use it to the best way that you can to advance your your nursing studies anyway Don't forget to go over to adamroxby.uk for more articles like this, and I look forward to speaking to you next time when we present another article from the archives of the Student Nursing Times. Hey, how's it going? It's Adam Roxby here with another article from the archives of the Student Nursing Times and this was an article that I wrote back on the 17th of October 2011 and it's entitled What is our responsibility as student nurses in emergency situations? For more articles like this and for the link to the original article that is on the Nursing Times website just head over to adamroxby.uk. Anyway, here we go. An elderly gentleman was knocked from his scooter after a collision with the back of a car I found myself reacting quickly. I put my hazard lights I found myself reacting quickly. I found myself reacting quickly. I put my hazard lights on and ran over to the middle lane of the roundabout. I found the gentleman unconscious and his breathing labored. But what's our responsibility as student nurses in an emergency situation? When I arrived on the scene, I'm sure that I spoke loudly and clearly when I introduced myself and ascertained his level of consciousness. Luckily, I didn't have to wait long before a first aider arrived on the scene. I was thankful that she arrived because although my previous healthcare assistant training had taught me that I was required in an emergency, albeit in a hospital situation, I'm not a first aider. As student nurses, we have a responsibility to respond to such events, but we must all be careful to know our limitations with regards to knowledge and competence. Even though we set out with the best of intentions, I don't think we should put ourselves in any risk in the process. It was an adrenaline fueled moment and it is easy to get carried away. Our duty is to try and minimise the risks to the patient while waiting for the experts to arrive. The incident itself was quite distressing for those who witnessed it but according to the A&E department the gentleman is well on the way to recovery thanks in part to the actions of those who are first on scene. If you do happen to find yourself in a similar situation all you can do is be prepared so finding the time to get some good first aid training is always highly recommended. You don't really know when it might come in handy. So yeah this was um written after that event and obviously since then I've been involved in sort of more emergency situations than I can possibly recall and there is a case that to be made that when you're out and about your responsibilities and your what is called upon you during emergency situations can vary this was always a hotly contested subject when I was speaking to fellow students back sort of nearly 10 years ago now and I will be honest and give you full disclosure that I haven't sort of kept up to date as to what the expectation would be on student nurses now but back then It was kind of you were expected to respond and work within your level of competence and confidence. That's a real key phrase and something that will come up a lot if you're a student nurse competence and confidence. If you are asked or if you try and undertake anything that is outside of your area of confidence and competence then you are really putting yourself in harm's way. And um, so if you feel that you are able to keep somebody settled and safe until the paramedics arrive, then it would be expected of you to do that. And especially if you're in an area where people might know that you're a student. Nurse. So if, for example, you're walking down your own high street and somebody f- drops down uh, with a suspected cardiac arrest, and people see you walking straight by and they know you and they know that you're a student or know that you're a nurse, then questions quite possibly and quite legitimately might be raised as to why you didn't respond to do anything to help that situation. Now, especially in situations where somebody's having a cardiac arrest the big sort of uh, urban legend was that oh what if I hurt them while I'm trying to resuscitate them and then they come round and live and then they sue me then what happens then the answer being at the time and I believe so now is that well frankly they're dead anyway so anything that you do to them is only going to help the situation. you know, you don't know whether they've got a, an advanced directive or a do not resuscitate uh, wish. You can only respond to what you see. And until you see something legally in writing that says do not resuscitate this person, then they're there for the active treatment. And it is only for the paramedics and for the experts uh, and the professionals to, to sort of call a halt To any proceedings that happen there so really you know you can't go wrong Um, and it is I believe not only you know it may not be a, a sort of a legal responsibility for you to respond but one would hope that as medical professionals or aspiring medical professionals that it would be a moral responsibility for you to to respond in a situation like that albeit just to maintain some level of decorum and professionalism in the area while waiting for for the paramedics to respond. But yeah, this was certainly one of those issues that got a lot of comments and responses to this article when it was originally published. But anyway, let me know what you think. As always, the original link can be found on the corresponding blog post, and there's going to be plenty more articles like this coming soon and available over at AdamRoxby.UK and I'll speak to you again really soon. Hey how are you doing it's Adam Roxby here with another article from the archives of the Student Nursing Times and this article like many others is available over at AdamRoxby.UK and the original link to this article will be posted in the blog post. Now, this article was written on the 24th of October 2011 and is simply entitled Money. <laughs> Basically, it's based, it's, it says money. Make sure you're getting everything you're entitled to because if there's one thing that students worry about, one of many things is money. So here we go. As an NHS student, I'm given a bursary of around £570 a month. This is sufficient for me to live on, but that's about it. Now, I'm not a money expert, far from it, but there are ways that I've learnt to get by that might be helpful to you. The first thing that you should do is make sure that you're getting everything you're entitled to. In my own personal case, I found that I was able to claim extra support for having a dependency. A very flattering term for my newborn baby boy, Dylan. Also, because I am now in full-time education, I am exempt from playing council tax. All I needed to do was provide proof of my student status. Secondly, are there any benefits that you may be entitled to? Since coming to university I recently found out that the reason why I'm struggling with writing so much and mathematics is that I have dyslexia. The test for dyslexia can be rather expensive but fortunately for me I received my test from my university for free and now I'm entitled to extra funding and equipment to enable me to learn at the same level as my fellow students. Finally, be 50 There are many websites and support centres to help people to be as money conscious as possible, and Student Nursing Times has many articles in its money section to help you. On the plus side, many people say that they learnt their appreciation for the value of money from being a student. So contact your student services department at your university to find out what benefits or support you may be entitled to. Contact your funding organisation as there may be some extra support with which you could be offered depending on your situation. All students have different situations and a bit of effort could save you a fair bit. Oh, blimey. Yeah, money was certainly... um, a big factor and i believe like i said i've been out of nursing uh, student nursing for a while now but i believe back in 2011 we were like the last intake to receive that bursary and it has got a bit more financially tricky for people to start nurse training i think the situation is changing now um certainly given the the recent appreciation of nurses but at the time you know there were many people who I believed would have made great nurses who just simply couldn't start their training because they couldn't you know couldn't live on that little money they relied upon their their salary too much and indeed there were people who undertook the training you know doing a a fairly intensive full-time three-year nurse training course while at the same time cramming in shifts as carers or, you know, other heavy duty forms of employment just to make enough money for them to survive. It's really tricky. And as I said, you know, I'm no expert in finances far from it, you know, but trying to navigate, uh, you know, back in the day, trying to navigate everything that one was entitled to was a real chore in and of itself and yes obviously a little bit of effort to begin with will certainly make things uh, more comfortable for you but I don't know I just find that especially given that I was dyslexic and you know discovered my dyslexia at university so I had to undergo you know, difficulties in secondary school, struggling with maths, really having a sort of poor mental arithmetic, even now. You know, mental maths is is tricky. But having to go through all of that and then being bamboozled by official forms was just draining. You know, I felt like I was working hard enough just to keep afloat and to pursue this 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 dream of mine to become a nurse. I then had to become an expert in maths to figure out my money situation. I then had to become, you know, adept at filling out official forms to try and acquire the the support that I was entitled to. So, yeah, my advice now, you know, looking back at it, nearly ten years later, it would be to certainly seek independent help. Don't try and undertake all this on your own because even if you're as diligent as you can be there are chances you're going to get lost in amongst the the whole quagmire of uh, of forms and websites and advice and entitlements is speak to you know financial experts or speak to you know citizens advice or go on money savings expert and ask questions or you know indeed go on to like the nursing times or the other sort of nursing websites that are there to support people The good thing about being a student is that you're not alone, there are people who are going through it, there are people who have gone through it quite recently, and there's certainly perhaps more advice and support out there than you perhaps would have realised. Anyway, the link to the original Nursing Times article will be in the corresponding blog post, and there's going to be many more articles like this over on adamroxby.uk. Hey, how are you doing? It's Adam Roxby here with another article from the Archives of the Student Nursing Times and this one was recorded, or I should say written, on the 31st of October 2011 and blimey, how relevant is this in times like this? This article and many articles like this can be found on adamroxby.uk and as always the link to the original article on the Nursing Times website will be in the description of the podcast and this article is entitled is it a student nurse's duty to have the seasonal flu jab Mm -hmm. so here we go after having a discussion with my tutor group about public health and health promotion my tutor decided to canvas some opinions about the seasonal flu jab out of sheer curiosity she wanted to know how many students would be having the inoculation I raised my hand and looked around the class expecting to see a large number of the 23 students with their hands in the air, however to my astonishment there were only 7, around 30%. What value for money is the government getting out of the advertising and the publicity surrounding the importance of having the seasonal flu jab? Why was the government spending so much time and resources trying to encourage the elderly and those at risk to have this inoculation when the group that should be the most receptive and knowledgeable were largely opting out? The tutor looked dumbfounded as she began to try and find out the reasons why people were having this decision. In amongst rumblings of indecision and admissions of some form that they actually hadn't given it much thought there were two answers that really stuck in my mind. One student said that she had had the jab one year and more or less straight away afterwards contracted flu. The common misconception that you are injected with a live virus and that the cure is worse than the disease is more prevalent than I would like to admit. My other fellow student said that she knew of somebody who had the injection and it had led, as a direct result, to her becoming paralysed. And though, you know, a fear that something like this could happen... My other fellow student said that she knew of somebody who had the injection and it led, as a direct result, to her becoming paralysed and... Through a fear that the same could happen to her, she was not going to risk having the injection. At the end of our conversation, our tutor asked us what the importance was of having the flu jab. We concluded that and as individuals, we may be healthy, fit and able. We may be lucky enough not to succumb to seasonal ailments and afflictions. However the unfortunate fact is that many people do suffer and as students looking to become nurses one of the ways in which we can protect our patients is to ensure that we are inoculated against a virus that is potentially fatal. Finally what about herd immunity? We need to have enough of the population inoculated against diseases in order to ensure that the virus cannot have a fertile breeding ground. Surely, the starkest example of when herd immunity fails is the MMR tragedy, where a media propagated scare against the safety of the MMR jab led to concerned parents of middle England to choose not to inoculate their children. As a result, we lost that baseline level of immunity, and diseases which we thought a thing of the past began to show up again. These are my views, but what do you think? Where do you stand? Will you have the seasonal flu jab? Wow. So how odd does it feel for me to be reading something like that? Nearly ten years ago I wrote these words and now we are talking again about the importance of immunisation. Terms which people may not have heard of, like herd immunity are becoming commonplace. And again, health professionals Nurses like me are the ones that are meant to be promoting the importance of inoculation. And indeed, we are being recruited in our droves to go out and be giving immunizations against not only obviously COVID, but the many, many things that we do actually have inoculations to. One of the really frustrating things is for months we have, we're crying out for immunization against covid-19 and rightly so this scourge of our public life but yet we've got plenty tested and researched and verified inoculations against many just as horrific and debilitating illnesses and people are still abstaining from getting the immunizations against it because of scaremongering now this is a subject that i've touched upon periodically throughout my life as a nurse and the most recent time that I spoke about this was about the experience of getting my my daughter immunized and it was at an age where she could understand what was going on and I spoke about the guilt and the real sort of gut-wrenching feeling of I am going to do something and these, these beautiful little eyes are going to be looking up at me and she's going to feel pain because of something that I'm putting her through now even with my training and my awareness of the importance of what I was doing there was still a part of me that just didn't want to be going through with this so I could I kind of tempered my anger towards parents who were in a similar situation and chose not to do that because they weren't they weren't the perpetrators as such. They were the victims of misinformation and they were clinging on to the hope that by not putting their child through this ordeal, albeit very short and very short lived, but by not putting them through this, that they were actually protecting them, doing a good thing, saving them from a, a an inoculation which has got all of these nasty ingredients in and has been shown to give you this or you know might lead to autism and all these other things you know when you're in a desperate situation and you're desperately grasping at a reason not to do something even the most tenuous bit of uh pseudo evidence that comes your way is going to be your lifeline out of this situation so i i kind of now don't hold my disdain towards the 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 parents you know it's a bit like if you're a policeman and you're you know want to crack down on drugs you don't go down you don't go for the small fry you go for you go know, for the big cheese you know you go for the the, the bosses you know you go for the, the real big heavy hitters for your that should be the focus of your ire and for me it's the same thing you know I don't go after the parents because in many sense they, they are the victims of this um, mindset you go over the people who perpetrate it online and who Who benefit from this this propagation of nonsense so yeah we're now in a situation where hopefully although even now I hear grumblings and strange noises from members of the medical profession about a mistrust that this vaccination has come too quickly and couldn't possibly have been tested enough in the time that we have given well you know, my answer to that would be, well, it is true that this vaccination has come round very quickly and we are in a position to be massively distributing it You know, a lot faster than conventionally, conventionally thought possible. But certainly the incentive to develop this vaccination has been an unprecedented um, endeavour as well. The results match the impetus and the input we have adopted a warlike mentality we have a warlike rhetoric but we also have a warlike mentality back in the day when we were fighting against tyranny people would have thought it impossible to build planes and tanks on a level that we did to such a degree that you can even walk around towns now and find old houses with their railings and metal railings stripped because we needed the metal so desperately that they sent people out to sort of rip out the railings of houses because they were so desperate to produce these, these this, this response to tyranny. In a similar sense, we have metaphorically ripped out the railings of what we thought was possible to get us this result and all we need to do as members of society, as people who care about each other, and care about our fellow human beings, is to not be sheep, be aware, be responsive to the science, but ultimately when the science is showing us that it is safe, and it is effective, and it will save lives, surely should it not be our duty to partake and build up, as I mentioned, that herd immunity. And then hopefully we have now bred a whole new populace and a whole new generation of people who respect the science and can see what happens when I bash the table. <laughs> so I can see what happens when we turn our back on evidence and what happens when we are exposed to such a terrible Virus and a terrible affliction, how quickly we then look to the experts that we have shunned and we look to the uh, professionals that will be the ones to come and bring us out of this. That got a bit weird, didn't it? Got a bit heavy, but I want to leave on a happy note. I hope you're doing well and I hope you're enjoying this. Look back at some of my old articles with a bit more of a modern sensibility and as always the link to the original article will be in the description and you can find many more articles like this over at AdamWoxby.uk. and stay tuned on this channel wherever you're listening however you're getting this information whether it's the newsletter whether it's the podcast feed or whether it's simply just looking at my website there's going to be plenty more articles coming in the very near future so stay safe I hope you're well and I look forward to speaking to you as always really soon.